0: Greetings. Welcome to another Truth Factor Discussion. We'd like to thank you for taking time to join us for this period of discussing the Word of God, of factoring the truth into our and hopefully your daily life. On today's Truth Factor Discussion, we're going to be looking at the risen Savior and Luke's account of his final days upon the earth just prior to his ascension up into heaven. Uh, The Gospel of Luke doesn't get to that. Acts Tells us about it, but it gets really, really close. Paul, if you would take a moment and let everyone let everyone know, if you would, how they can participate in today's discussion. I'd be happy to do
1: that, John. Um, you may be uh, watching this at YouTube and on YouTube.com/slash TruthFactorLive. There is a chat there that you can utilize. Uh, Facebook.com/slash TruthFactorLive. And also on Twitter uh, at slash truthfactor. And also on the live.truthfactor.com, there's chat there. Or send us an email at questions at truthfactor.com. Brian, last time we uh, left off with Jesus having been tried, Uh, nothing could be found to accuse him of, but yet uh, they executed him by crucifixion. And we left him in the grave. And that's where we'll pick up with you today. And so I'll hand right off to Brian Haynes, who will lead our study today.
2: Thank you very much, Paul. And this morning, uh, we are, of course, in Luke chapter 24. Jesus of Nazareth has been put to death illegally, as we saw several days before. And we begin reading here in chapter 24. And we're going to read the first 12 verses, verses 1 through 12. And I'm going to ask John, if he would, to read for us Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12 to tell us what's about to happen.
0: All righty. Verses 1 through 12 you say?
2: That's right. Okay.
0: All right, let's go ahead and begin. <clears throat> now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified in the third day, rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened." So as we
2: begin here, uh, we start off on the first day of the week, and we see these women coming to the to the tomb for the practice of uh, embalming the body. And the question that we might think about is, why was it that they waited until the first day of the week, which is uh, in an approximation three days after Jesus was put to death? Why did they wait th- uh, Why did they wait until the first day of the week that they might do these things? And I'll throw this out to any of you to start off. Okay. or or maybe i'll just throw well, it to paul
0: you've stumped us
2: <laughs> yeah well with we- I think Paul signed we Well, I think about the idea that the day before was the Sabbath, and one of the questions there is to think that uh, with the Sabbath day, they wouldn't be allowed to travel or to do work on that day. So the indication suggests for us that, uh, that they probably had to wait until the Sabbath had passed in order that they could uh, then begin uh, to do those things. So part of that might be about the the waiting through the Sabbath and the Passover day. So those things are kind of something we might think about. Anybody have any other thoughts about that?
1: Maybe about the significance
2: of it being the first day of the week.
1: Well, I started uh, to comment and I had my microphone muted because I have a bit of a cough today and was trying to keep everybody from having to hear that. But uh, certainly you're right, Brian. They, had been, they were preparing for the Passover uh, and uh, there were some activities that they would have had to have been engaged in, as well as that Sabbath uh, rest. Uh, I also thought about, you know, that in the uh, the working of God, that uh, in New Testament, uh, in the New Testament, the first day of the week is going to become significant, and that that memorial uh, takes place on, on that uh, first day of the week. And so, of uh, uh, these things that, that happen, and so it may be that. Uh, that was part of the providence and the plan uh what god intended to do uh in this uh, certainly there's some old testament things uh regarding the first day of the week that would point to this uh, as well as uh 40 days uh looking at the uh, at the um, pentecost being on the first day That'd of the week nice. and so you know all that tied together um uh, just part of what God's plan was. Maybe that's too simplistic of an answer, but uh, that's what I was thinking there, Brian. Well,
2: that's, that's exactly what I would say too. I, I, we don't want to miss the significance of it being the first day of the week. Uh, The, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of uh, things to consider in the significance of that. And of course, as you pointed out too, that's the day given to us that we, we memorialize his death, burial and resurrection. Um, and uh, we might kind of even consider that there's a chat room question that considers some of this as well that we'll come back to here shortly. Um, here's another question for us to think about. What is so unusual about the fact that it's just women who are the first ones to, to bear witness of the, uh, of the resurrection of Christ? Maybe maybe this question comes more from a legal standpoint. Why would that be a significant thing?
3: Well, uh, well, my understanding of uh, of the Jewish culture back during the first century is that women were not treated with the same degree of credibility or equality as that of men. You know, it it, it was it was said that. That their testimony in a trial only carried a percentage of the weight of a man, you know, for for whatever reason, and uh, and uh, so the fact that Jesus first appeared to women, and that that is recorded in the Gospels, it actually lends validity to the fact that this is, uh, uh that is, it is an actual accounting of what happened, uh. Uh, if, if somebody was writing up some fictitious story or something like that, uh, they would want to make it as palatable to society as possible, and they would not have uh, uh, they would not have started off with the women. Uh, there, there's an interesting thought about this in First Corinthians chapter 15. If if you read about the first eight verses there you'll notice the appearances that are recorded there do not mention the women paul is making a more legal case if you will making a uh, uh make making a a, a a greater appeal to it whereas the gospels are telling us the order in which it happened and so on so that's just some thoughts on that
2: that's, a, that's an excellent answer tom um and and it is important i i read years ago uh, on uh, a uh, description of the resurrection by someone who was a bit of a skeptic. And one of the things that they said was so dramatic to them that gave them pause was the fact that the first people to bear witness of this were women and that in the culture of the time that uh, their testimony wouldn't have had the same weight. And so in his mind, he suggested that uh, just as you said, that it gives a stronger veracity to the truth of these things that it wouldn't have been the witnesses that men would have picked that this is the uh, that this is an account that truly must have happened was his conclusion which is the very same one that we have too so there's some significance to the fact that these are that the, that these are the women that came and also that these women were very devout followers of Jesus too is something that comes up
3: anybody have any other thoughts on that yeah, you, you, you know, you mentioned the you mentioned the point that they were devout. I mean, these were women that were close to Jesus. I mean, his mother, his his mother is, it, I think, included in some of the accounts and stuff like that. Uh, and and uh, these would have been the women who probably ministered to Jesus uh, during his during his life and so on. And so so they they had they had a connection with him.
2: That I agree. And I think that, uh, again, the significance is these are the people that are closest to him, that, that served him the most, and they get the great pleasure. And And it's not a pleasure at that moment, by the way. At, at that moment, it's a lot of confusion. But later on, they'll get to be the ones to say, uh, we were the first to know. And that's that's yeah. really a pretty exciting thing, you know, to be the first yeah. one to yeah. find out something extraordinary.
3: Yeah, you know, you mentioned about the pleasure of it, but it it was a matter of loving him, you know, you know, you know, as, as a dear friend and so on. So.
2: Yeah, very good. Um, so, why is it that, that then when they come back, nobody believes them? Uh, what are what is the uh, the result of this? Why is it that the disciples didn't believe the women?
0: I'm not sure about that. Well, um, I've often wondered that as well, Brian. As far as wondering why they were so so skeptical, but even Thomas himself was skeptical as well. Um, that doesn't help any well, I, I don't have a great answer.
1: You know those emotional women.
0: That's Paul at TruthFactor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, well, I don't you think. I don't think the apostles were, or, you know, those in that day were beyond having some of the same uh, generalizations that sometimes we can throw at things. And, uh, you know, I, I said that jokingly, but, but I'm not sure that, you know, that wouldn't be, you know, a part that's played in this. And so just just a thought. Uh well, and I don't mean the, that that, in, that it's in reality that way. I just mean that that may have been their their view toward those things. Right, right. Yeah.
3: yeah, yeah, Brian. Uh, I do not think that this had to do with the credibility of the women per se. Uh, you know, a, a, as in as in that they they said, "Well, you all are women, and your testimony doesn't." I don't think it was that kind of a thing. I I just see the idea of they were devastated at the death of Jesus and. Uh, they were prepared for the fact that he was dead, and for somebody to come up and say, "You know what? He's risen from the dead." They're not ready to accept that. I mean, it, it, it would be like us accepting uh, somebody that was raised from the dead after seeing him in a casket or something like that. So, I so I, I just think it's the reality of the situation, and and you might you might call a weak faith or a defeated. A, a defeated attitude, a confused attitude, because they didn't know what was going on. So, but but whatever whatever the case, uh, uh, you know, the, the first one said, "We have seen him, it. and it's kind of one of these things. You know what? Well, we haven't. You know, and and we need to see him ourselves to believe it.
0: So, Brian, can I know, jump in real quick? Yeah, please do. With, with one quick thought: um, Looking back at the text, and I'm not—I'd have to go back and look at the other gospel accounts. I don't think the women came back saying, we've seen him. They came back and said, the tomb is empty. There were two men there who told us that he's risen. What must this mean? Because late in, in John's accounts, Peter and John run ahead, or Peter and John run there to find an empty tomb. It's, it's, it's more than reporting the tomb is empty, and we've been told that he is risen, and that's what he said. What could this possibly mean? Maybe that's really what we're looking at. <laughs>
2: I think in Matthew's account, it says that Jesus himself did appear. John's account says Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And then I think Matthew's account might say that Jesus did appear to them. But you're right here that it doesn't seem to to specify exactly uh, what that was.
0: See, I'm wondering so, if he appeared uh, to them separate from the message that, that was being carried back, is what I'm saying. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You but know, I'm it's, it's, it's
2: interesting.
3: John, I actually think verse 10 of our text, you know, it, it says it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, mm-hmm. and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles.
0: Yeah, but they didn't see Jesus at this point. They just saw the empty tomb and the report of the two men or angels oh, standing oh, there. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see. Yeah.
2: I, I think that whatever the circumstance might be, one of the things is, is that, and it kind of it was alluded to before, all of these men knew Jesus had died. And there there wasn't a question in their minds that they died, Um, and I think that that's the thing: is that you believe what you've seen versus what you're told. It's it's interesting in this chapter, three times there will be a repeated message: twice from Jesus, once from the apostles. That I told you that this is how it was going to happen. Um, Three different times we're reminded that Jesus says, "Look, I told you what was going to happen. I told you that this had to happen this way." Mm -hmm. And so there's that uh, there's that really profound. Since uh, weren't you paying attention uh, to them? Right, right. Yeah. Right. One one more question with this. Um, I don't know. And I and I thought of this question, but uh, I'm not sure that I have a. I myself have a really good answer. Uh, the accounts are very specific to tell us that when they got there, there were linen wrappings in there, but no body. Is there any significance to that? You think that there was just linen wrappings with linen wrappings without a body?
3: Yeah you know brian i i I believe it was John's account uh, I think I looked it up this morning that made the point about the the head covering was sitting to the side by itself and wrapped neatly folded and so That's on
0: right. the one of the
3: indications of this would be that this was something that was uh that was if for i don't not not the word planned it, it, even though it was planned by god but 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 this was an orderly thing that happened. You know, I, I find it interesting, uh, if you study the resurrection, there are four or five different uh, arguments that are made to dismiss the resurrection of Jesus for a number of different reasons. And in roundabout ways, the Gospels actually address all of them with little clues. You know, like, for example, the idea of, of seeing the garments there, and then you, when you go over to John and see the idea of that, uh, the, the headscarf folded and so on, that indicates that it wasn't a stolen body. You know, had, had, it, been, had it been a stolen body and the linens would have been left behind, that have just been strewn here or there. You know, that had just been thrown down because they were getting the body out. But this indicates that this was something that was meticulously planned, and it was executed as God intended for it to be executed.
2: Yeah, I think I think you really hit it there to say that had the body been stolen, uh, the the wrappings of the body wouldn't have been left behind. So there's there's some significance to that. Um, there's you know there's there's a few things that sometimes are made out about the nature of the resurrection from this too that that for the sake of time we won't go too far into, but just that it's a very uh, it's very unusual that the gospel accounts are very distinct to tell us that, that the wrappings of a dead man were left behind, but there was no dead man. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah so, e- exactly. So i might go, and, you know, go I had, to our
2: question. Oh, go ahead. And we got yeah, some uh, comments say, to bring in.
3: Oh, I was also going to say, I'm, you know, you, you made the point that they didn't believe the women. That actually goes to the argument that Jesus wasn't really dead. You know, there are some who say that he swooned. You know, the, the, the fact that they didn't believe the women from that standpoint would be an implication that they knew without any doubt that he was dead. So anyways.
2: That's very good. Very good. Um, we've got a couple of comments in the chat to bring in now that we've got a chat question. Our chat question uh, was, why is it all the gospel accounts tell us what day Jesus arose? but none tell us what day of the week he died. Um, and we've got some answers here. Mike Davis, I think kind of focused in on what I was thinking about too. So uh, if we can bring that in.
0: <clears throat> Mike says, thanks for this, Brian. There's a deep study of the day of his death. Matthew twelve forty must be accepted three days, three nights. First day of the week is the Lord's day. The day the church began on the first day of the week. And then he says, um, he says, I'm not convinced it was a Friday he died. Matthew 12, 40 just won't give enough days and nights to complete the verse. The day of preparation was several days, or I'm sorry, the day of preparation included several days before Passover. That's what Mike intended there.
2: You know, so so Mike kind of focuses in on this, that there's, there is some disagreement about exactly what day he died, and it's in part because the gospel counts just simply don't tell us the day of the week that he died. And what we conclude from that is that the significance of the of the day is not the day he died. The significance is the day he arose. Um, and it was kind of something we mentioned beforehand in our show. Our faith is not built uh, on the day he died. It's built on the day he arose. That he overcame death. That uh, that he both paid this penalty and then became the first fruits of our resurrection. So we're meeting together to celebrate not the day of his death but the day of his resurrection that's the that's the the characteristic of our faith and our way of life Mm -hmm. um i think we're ready to move on unless anybody else has any other comments uh and the next section is going to be a rather lengthy reading and we're going to throw this one at paul if he would do it for us Mm -hmm. and i'll get the chat question in there but now we're going to be going to the road to emmaus And Paul, I'm going to ask you to read Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. But you know, uh, um, just, uh, you know, actually, we have one more comment in the chat. I'm sorry. That kind of goes back to this. And I want to grab it really quick. Um, And the comment in the chat is from Gregor Hinckley. And Gregor says Is it they don't say the day he died, or we do not understand what they said? Now, Gregor's got a good point, <clears throat> in part because there is some language about the day of preparation and how we would understand a day of the week. Um, that's in the Gospel of John. What we might say, Gregor, is that if, if there is some indication to that day in the Gospel of John, it's not necessarily found in the other Gospel accounts. And so we still might say that the Gospel accounts aren't specific uh, about that day versus what it is that it is specific about that the day of his uh, arising was on the first day of the week. All four accounts begin uh, that last point on the same moment, the first day of the week. So that's kind of where we were uh, trying to go with that. But as you point out, there is some indication as to what day he died, uh, but there is some confusion as to what that indication is. It's not clear from the accounts. You know, Brian, uh, there's lots
1: of days that we're not told. We're not told the day of his birth. We're not told the day of his baptism, uh, not told specifically the day of the week. Uh, we can deduce some things, and I think it'd be a, I don't think we're all in agreement on that, but we could deduce some things that, uh, about the day of his crucifixion, but there is no question uh, the day of his resurrection,
2: so. Yeah, that's very good. And, and again, I, I think what we have to do, we have to understand is those other things aren't really that important um, that, in other words, but this, that day of resurrection is. Um, Paul, would you go ahead and read for us Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35?
1: Okay, I will happily do that. And uh, for the weakness of my voice, please forgive me, but I'll try to speak up. Now, behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? As you have walked and are sad, then one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, "Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem, and have you not known the things which happened there in these days?" And he said to them, "What things?" So they said to him, "The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people." and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said, he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And he, or excuse me, and beginning at Moses, And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another did not our heart burn within us while we talked while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us so they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things they, that had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread.
2: So this is a really interesting account of, about this uh, this journey on the road. It is, uh, of course, only found in the the account that Luke shares with us. One thing that's always interesting to me is who is it that we're talking about, and we're given a name here, Cleopas, uh, or Cleopas uh, is the name of the person. Now, according to John 19 and verse 25, and I threw this passage up in the chat room, if, if this is the same person, and we kind of assume it is, who is he married to? And especially consider that in, in light of Luke 24:10. Anybody have a
3: thought? Would it be one of? Would it be uh, Jesus's aunt? I, I guess well, Mary's so, sister.
2: Well, so we think that actually, the when it says uh, Mary's sister and then comma Mary, so we don't think Mary's sister was also named Mary. We think that Mary's oh. sister is Joanna uh, because she her name is not listed in the accounts that mention the sister. And that makes James and John Jesus's cousins. So that's that's real interesting, Tom. And and that's not a, a very clear statement. Um, and it could be. Um, I tend to lean more towards Joanna being the sister and Mary being there. Okay. But but it does seem that Clopas is married to Mary. And if you look okay. at uh, what we read, what's that? Oh and yeah, married to a Mary. Yeah, and that's confusing because there's three Marys at least in the scriptural accounts. This Mary, though. Uh, married to him, is also one of the witnesses. So when Clopas is saying, you know, somebody came along, it, it seems like he's talking about his wife. Uh, when he's talking to Jesus there on the road and he says, our women came and reported this to us, it seems like he's talking uh, about his wife. Now, the other the other interesting thing is that it mentions that, that Mary was also the mother of James, And some understand this to be James, one of the disciples, not James and John James, but uh, the other James. And if so, then that would make Clopas the father, I'm sorry, of the apostles, the father of one of the apostles. So uh, it kind of gives us a little bit of a sense of who this man might have been if we kind of bring these passages all together. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Next question is kind of a, a little more difficult why is it that they didn't recognize him, or why might that be the case? It's not, uh, there, there's a little bit of a, a statement made about it, but it's not entirely clear. And maybe to think about it like this is this the only time they didn't recognize Jesus?
3: No, no, uh, the very first appearance of Jesus was difficult to recognize him, and that would have been I was Mary Magdalene as, as recorded in John. You know, at the tomb, the first she is, she supposes him to be the gardener, and he has to say to her, "Mary," and when she gets a close look at him, she recognizes him. So uh, uh, there's all kinds of reasonings, uh, you know, why the recognition wasn't there. We're told specifically in this text that their eyes were restrained, but but one of the interesting things about Jesus when he arose from the dead, it was physically him. Which is why the, uh, you know, which is why we see the evidence in the next section and so on. He he was physically arisen, but was there some sort of a altered state, you know, that was associated with it because of his glorified, you know, risen, never to die again type of a thing, and so th- th- there might have been something slightly different about him, and but he was recognizable enough that if you looked closely. You could tell it was him, but, but at a glance, there was some difference. So, I mean, that's, a, and again, that's theory, speculation, but, but to, to me, that seems to be some of what we're dealing with here.
2: Paul or John, you got any thoughts? You know, it's it is interesting to think about it like this. If Jesus had risen physically identical to the way he died, what would that body have looked like? Uh, you know, if you remember, he had the crown of thorns, he was beaten about yeah, the mold. face, he was lashed. What's that? Mauled. Yeah. So, it was so, the, mold so there's a like change. Body. There's a change in his visage that that that. In other words, he doesn't appear to them, and this a horribly devastated body. But what's real interesting is that later we do see him pointing to the holes in his hands and such. And even in this chapter, it could be a reference to that that revelation. So frankly, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I'm not exactly sure. I understand why that is that some of these things seem to be manifested and some of them don't. Um, My best thought is that he intentionally manifested those wounds to be seen. But at the same time, it wasn't necessary that they were carried forward to the resurrected body, that his resurrected body had been changed. And that, Tom, you kind of said that, and that that certainly follows what we're told in First Corinthians fifteen about our resurrection, that our body is changed. So that there's something uh, you know, about that too, but it certainly is confusing.
3: Yeah, and and you know, you could add to that, quite honestly, they weren't expecting to see Jesus. You know, you you might say that Jesus was the last person on their mind that would have appeared to them while they were rock, walking to Emmaus. Uh, it, it could have been anybody else because you know Jesus, he was dead, or 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 something had happened. They had no clue where his body was or anything like that, so they weren't anticipating that. And you you factor that in along with the fact that uh, like like we we've said there maybe some type of an altered appearance to a degree you put those things together. That would probably, I think that explains it, or at least it gives an explanation. Um,
0: That's good. That's good. Right. Go ahead, John. One other thing to consider, um, and this won't help any in the clarity of this, but Jesus is (laughs) going to be seen over the course of the next 40 days. He's going to be with them. So what happened when he was raised from the dead? What is was his body healed? We don't know how he was raised physically. I mean that that is clearly evident, um, <clears throat> and there were evidences of the wounds on him, but there's there he's going to be with them for forty days. So, the Bible doesn't make any other reference to the wounds on him except in the case in point of Thomas, and so the other events after that, we we just we just don't know. But, um, <clears throat> I would almost tend to think that it was whatever the situation was he needed to do to show them that he was who he said that he, he was. I think, that's,
2: I think that's a real good point. Uh, we have a comment in the chat about this subject. I thought we might try to bring it in from Gregor <clears throat> Kingcliffe. We're able to do so. Yep, go right ahead. Uh, Gregor's comment, is, he says, Jesus says, look, would you expect to see a dead man walking? If I saw my mother tomorrow, I would not think it was her. And I, and I think that's a really interesting observation, you know, um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was the comment I was looking for, that, uh, it, that in other words, if even meeting somebody I knew personally and well, but if I believe them to be dead uh, and I met them, I, you know, I would, I would think I'm looking at someone that looks like them perhaps. So there's, there's some sense of that too, that if it's just not somebody you believe you can be talking to, that would really seem to, uh, to come back and hit that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah yeah and 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 you add to that like i said the, the fact that they weren't expecting it you know i i think of a situation where you go some you know we we have friends that we haven't seen in a while and so on and we go somewhere and we don't expect to see them at a particular place and they identify themselves and once they identify themselves then you recognize them you know so You've got that kind of an idea associated with it, you know, and the the not expecting things. So, so
2: yeah, sure. yeah, that's really good. There's another comment that Michael Davis has, Mike Davis has about this that we might pull in too, if that's okay. Uh, and Mike Davis, kind of going back to the conversation about the wounds, whether how they were manifested and. Uh, Again, just it's an interesting point. Those wounds were healed as well. Mary thought he was a gardener at first. There was something changed about him. And again, uh, Mike is kind of focusing in on on that point that that there was something very different about Jesus in his visage that he wasn't recognized um, that uh, uh, that that there was something very changed about him. So that's that's an important point for us to consider. Uh, are there any other thoughts before we come to our next question? Because our next question is kind of a tough one, or at least it could be a complicated one. Um, in fact, I'm almost wondering, uh, uh, you know, for the sake of our time, how much uh, um, uh, how much understanding there is to this. But But it's several times stated by Jesus here that it was necessary for him to go through these things. And that necessary is kind of a striking point. Um, As Jesus is uh, talking about these, uh, he begins to say, uh, as he describes this, verse 26, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? What do we think that Jesus means when he says necessary? Or why was it necessary that these things happen?
1: Anybody have a thought on that? One of the things that he points out there is that it's a fulfillment of prophecy, and so since these things were prophesied, it was necessary that all would be fulfilled, uh, and so that that is—I don't think that's the entire reason, uh, but I think that's part of the reason there. Uh, John put that up uh, that what the prophets have spoken uh, is how Jesus refers to it. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? Um, Jesus frequently talked about, though, in addition to it being the fulfillment of prophecy, uh, he would tell the uh, disciples, those following him, it's not time yet. It's not my time yet. And then it became his time. And so these were things that, it, that were, uh, I think the epistles would tell us, were foreordained before the foundation of the world, that this was how salvation would come to man. Uh, and uh, we have those figures in the Old Testament of animal sacrifices and blood offerings and things like that, and this was uh, Jesus being that sacrifice.
2: Paul, that's a really good answer. In fact, one of my subsequent follow-up thoughts to this was uh, what kind of things might Jesus have shared from Moses and the prophets, and you really covered them both well. Um, because he might have pointed to some of the prophecies about the Christ, of course, but he also might have pointed to them some of the things about the law itself, about the nature of the Passover, the sacrifices, and, and the, the things that uh, the law foreshadowed in Christ too. And so it's very, it was a very uh, good point to say that it was both the idea of the prophecies that made what happened to him necessary, but also the idea of the very nature of the law itself uh, brought some of that necessity to him. And so it's an important point for us to consider. Uh, John or Tom, you have any thoughts to add to these? Nope, not right Uh, now.
0: I'm good.
2: Okay. Uh, I think we might just go ahead and skip on to, to what I wrote down as a question number five, which was what event was going on that is significant that Jesus broke bread with them? Um, going back to Leviticus chapter 23 verses five and six is the, is the source of that. Anybody know the answer to this?
0: Uh, of unleavened bread.
3: Yeah. Uh, I so think what it's it has to do with is I, maybe one of the other accounts points to the fact that they were not certain it was actually him and they thought maybe it was his spirit. Uh, the, in other words, they thought this was a, 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 a a spirit body, not not physically Jesus, who had been raised from the dead. Uh, if, if you think about the Star Wars movies, you know one of the things in the Star Wars movies is 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 they'll show they'll show a, or whatever the word is projection a projection of somebody from a long distance away, uh, and uh, um, you know uh, there are some who argue that that's how Jesus appeared. But the fact that Jesus ate bread, the fact that he let them touch him, uh, broke the bread, all those types of things indicate that this was physically the body of Jesus that was arisen from the dead.
2: Very good, Tom. Uh, unfortunately, gave us a spoiler for the Star Wars movie, The Last Jedi, but uh, that's okay. We, we'll let that go. Uh, well, no, no.
3: It had to do with the first movie. Oh, okay. Oh, the one back in the 80s.
2: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anybody else have any comments or thoughts? So we might consider here that this was, of course, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, and that when they sit down after the road to a maze, they do so. And Tom kind of points in both to this, and he kind of is even going ahead a little bit, too, to some of the uh, conversation about the the food uh, here, too. Anybody else have something to add?
0: All right, Brian. Did we, you did Mike. you want to bring in um? The I think Mike question? had a comment, right? Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, Mike did have one more. He did. There you go. Mike said, "Fulfillment of prophecy and more. Without his fulfillment of these things, no one could be redeemed. Blood of bulls and calves couldn't do it." So, you know, I think what's
2: uh, interesting about this comment uh, is that, uh, as Mike points out, no one could be redeemed without it going this way. Uh, we're oftentimes told that the death of the Christ was the only means by which mankind could be redeemed. And I think that that's a significant consideration, that, uh, that this was the uh, necessary thing to occur. And I think Mike is kind of grabbing that thought, too. So I appreciate that quite a bit, Mike. Uh, did you say there was another comment, John? I'm sorry.
0: No, I was just asking if you wanted to go into the chat room question that you had asked.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe one more question was that uh, we're told that uh, uh, that Jesus had appeared to um, uh, that Jesus had appeared to Simon. Why is that kind of unusual? That whenever they come back and they start to tell everybody, everybody kind of cuts them off, says, oh, no, 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 Jesus appeared to Simon. What? Uh, what's unusual about that? Where did we read about that?
0: I don't think we did read about that. <clears throat>
2: that's right. That's right. Um, it's mentioned here, and it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, but we actually don't have uh, a narrated uh, account of that event happening, of Jesus and Peter meeting one another. So it's interesting uh, that they met sometime that day, but we actually don't know anything about it other than it's being mentioned here. So that's just kind of an interesting thing to consider, too. So,
1: yeah. Seems like Jesus is not re- restricted by time and space, uh, as we might say. But uh, I just have to say, and this is, uh, I try not to make too many extraneous remarks, but uh, I think that would have been a really interesting conversation to be privy to, uh, assuming that Simon Peter uh that uh because i believe in the corinthian uh account uh he mentions him as cephas and so i think it would have been just a really interesting discussion with all the other discussions that jesus and peter had leading up to this and then the denial and the weeping and and everything uh i think this would have been a really neat one to be privy to
3: yeah uh you, you know uh, you know a couple of thoughts uh, number one, we're assuming that this is Simon Peter. And it could be it could be that, you know, Simon Peter had said, I saw Jesus. Because he was one of the ones I believe he appeared to earlier, uh, according to John and some other thing. And it could be that they heard that, but they hadn't seen it. But now that they've physically seen Jesus themselves, they make the acknowledgement that, oh, yeah, uh, uh, obviously what Peter said, about Jesus appearing to him has happened. But here's another thought. Simon seems to have been as common of a name as Mary for men. Could this Simon here be one of the two men on the road to Emmaus? Could this be the other man? You've got Cleopas, and maybe you've got Simon was his name, and he's sitting there saying, you know, uh, uh, the Lord appeared to me. And uh, the audience would have known who this Simon was, so that's just an, another theory, thought, suggestion. It's very possible,
2: Tom, uh, and and since we don't know the name of the other person, uh, it's not entirely um, impossible that that's what we're talking about too. Typically, what we're what happens is that we kind of uh, put First Corinthians fifteen five in in a, in a. Uh, Categorical order of things, and so we we kind of fit that in there. But of course, as you say, it could be that we're not talking about the same Simon. So,
3: yeah, um, yeah like I said, it's a very common writing... name. I mean, I mean, yeah. how many Simons do we have? Jesus had what two apostles by that name? When you count Simon That's Peter, right. he had another Simon, uh, and if not more. So, so you got that. Uh, uh, you know, uh, another interesting thought about this text is in verse 32. I like the expression, did not our hearts burn within us? Or did not our heart burn within us? It was kind of, It's kind of interesting to think that they were in the presence of Jesus, and as Jesus was explaining these things, even though they didn't recognize who he was, there was just something about being in his presence that was different. And uh, uh, they acknowledged that. And I just think about, uh, you know, being in the presence of Jesus how that ought to cause our hearts to burn within us, however however, he is around uh, with us today.
2: You know, I was, I was thinking, Tom, about when we partake of communion and we break the bread and, and come to recognize the presence of Christ in, in by faith, uh, you know, that similar kind of uh, moment that they had on that first day of the week and we have on our first day of the week, too. So it's kind of interesting to consider those two things.
3: Yeah, yeah. Is there the seriousness associated with it as there ought to be, or is it something that is done flippantly and so on? You know, so
0: just a Brian, thought. let me hop in here because of time's sake. Um, we we're kind of in at a at a difficult uh, point. It's eleven fifty-five. We don't have enough in the chapter left to warrant a full hour's discussion, and I really don't want to stop Luke and start Acts. All in the same time period um, <clears throat> and there are some some comments we've not gotten to in the chat room as well. Um, we, we can do one of two things and, and since you're the host, I want to get your, your thoughts on this real quick. I'll try to make this real quick. We could either read through and summarize the remainder of this chapter or continue it next week, but only have maybe a half hour study or whatever is necessary. To conclude the study of, of Luke, we wouldn't feel compelled to go the full hour. Well, that's a great question, John. Um, Probably the best
2: d- you've heard of. Tell us if you have any
3: comments.
2: I'll look for a little bit of I, feedback if there's any thoughts.
3: Yeah, I, I well, um, I, I, we could do it either way, but I still say that uh, there, there are things that we could talk about if we have five or ten extra minutes that we wouldn't be able to talk about it if we go through it quickly. So, uh, And and then we can still, you know, when we get done, when we get done. Next week, if if we continued it.
0: Paul, what are your so, thoughts? Anyway.
1: Do we- you ask me? Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything that could be said needs to be said. Uh, but I don't know that we're going to in the next – three minutes, uh, or even if we take an extra, you know, five minutes, uh, reading through this, um, my suggestion would be let's plan a half hour study next week. Uh, and that, that is my suggestion. I'm not saying it's gotta be my way. Uh, so just have a plan a half an hour, uh, or so study next week. And then maybe just some concluding remarks about the book of Luke, and, uh and like I said, you don't have to do it my way. If you decide to do it some other way, I'll just not join you. And no, I'm kidding. So, uh, but, uh, try to, but I'll, I'll plan to be, I plan to cooperate with whatever you guys would like to do.
2: Our, our chat room agrees with you, Paul. So since we do everything by consensus, I think that's going to be our decision. We'll just have an abbreviated study to finish up next week. Um, so why don't we go ahead and bring in our chat question then, and we'll wrap up after that. So we'll bring in that uh, chat question. And the chat question was, who did the disciples hold responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, and why is this significant? And so we have uh, an answer here on that, if we can bring that one up too. Is it by Gregor? Um, yeah, by Gregor. That's the one I, I saw. Um, that Gregor's comment or Gregor's observation uh, accurately from the text is that Gregor notes that uh, this was the chief priests and rulers, and also they spoke how Jesus was mighty in word and deed in the sight of the people, hence at least a large number of the people were not against him. One of the things that's very interesting about this, I would suggest, is that it seems as though at least to some degree, the purpose of the chief priests and the rulers of the people bringing Jesus to the Gentiles to be crucified was to, to kind of lay blame with somebody else that in other words, that, uh, that they wouldn't be entirely on them. And as I said, to some degree there, uh, that seems to be a motivation and it certainly doesn't work that although the Gentiles are the ones that executed Jesus, Nobody, or at least the disciples, don't seem to hold the Gentiles accountable for that. They see this as being the work of the Jews. And that's an important point to consider as far as this, because Jesus himself had said that those that brought him to Pilate were guilty of greater things than Pilate himself was. And so there's there's a significant point that the Gospel accounts agree for us to understand, and that is who was to blame for what happened, that Jesus was murdered uh, by the Jews, not by the Romans. And that's, yeah, and, the, uh, that's the language.
3: Yeah, and, and we will also revisit this when we get to the book of Acts, when, uh, when they want to deny that they were responsible for his death.
2: It's a very good point. Very good point. Um, so I believe we're kind of going to wrap up here. Uh, do we have any final comments or thoughts to bring up? I'll start off with uh, with John. John, do you have any final thoughts to bring up today?
0: Not really, Brian. I do think that this is a very interesting chapter um, in Luke's account when you look at the final days and moments of Christ when he is with his apostles. And when everything is said and done, it should help to strengthen our faith to see one more account of the the gospel message that ultimately he will assign to the apostles to go and preach into the world. And to see the evidence of his resurrection should shear up our faith and just make it that much stronger.
2: Very good. Paul, do you have anything to bring up?
1: No, uh, I don't. I I agree with what's been said. And this is uh, an interesting couple of chapters here, especially. Uh, And uh, Luke just lays them out very plainly for us so that we can uh, know those facts of the gospel. And Tom?
3: yeah, Uh, I appreciate the study. Looking forward to finishing next week. Uh, The resurrection is such an important event. You establish the resurrection. You establish our faith. And so uh, I think that's why all four Gospels deal with it the way that they do. And uh, it, it it it's a worthy discussion. So I, I've appreciated the study today and uh, look forward to completing that discussion next week.
2: Looking forward to that too. We'll turn it back over to John to wrap us up.
0: Thank you, Brian, for leading us through this study today. Lord willing, we will finish up the study of Luke chapter 24 next Wednesday. We hope that you can join us for that. As has been mentioned earlier, our plans are to step into the Book of Acts once we complete Luke and as Mike did point out in the comment or someone in the chat room pointed out, Luke picks Acts, Acts picks up where Luke left off with a little bit of an overlap. And so that looks like we're going to begin that in February. So hopefully you can join us for that. But next Wednesday we'll continue and conclude our study of Luke at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time.
1: That's noon Eastern. 9
3: a.m. Pacific Time. And 10 a.m.
2: Mountain Time.
0: That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.